0: We'll take just a moment for the kids to assemble if they are there, and um, that will be good. That will be good. So today's gospel lesson is kind of an interesting one, and some of it, quite frankly, when you read it, doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you read it. It's one of those things you kind of have to sit with more than you understand. At least that's my experience. But I do have a couple thoughts um several years ago I was in a big store and a mom was there with a fussy kid and the fussy kid wanted this and couldn't have it and wanted that and couldn't happen and and just kept fussing and fussing and finally the mom was a little bit impatient in fact she was a whole lot impatient and I'm not sure I blame her and she grabbed the kid's arm and kind of shook it and said all right now get happy (laughs) do you think that worked No, you're shaking your head. I don't think it worked either. Some things you just can't command, can you? If somebody says, now get happy, especially when you're in a sad place, it takes a process to get from sad to happy. At least it does for Pastor Jim. And I've been practicing a long, long time. So how about today? Jesus commands that we love one another. How about that one? Can Jesus, yeah, yeah, I shrug my shoulders too. And there are lots of adults who say, hmm, is that really possible? So even though it's something we need to sit with and grow up with, and for someone even my age, I certainly am not sure of everything that it means, we're going to spend some time today talking about how Jesus commanded us to love one another, and a little bit of what that means. So... Thanks for spending
1: some time with me. I appreciate it.
0: There was a prayer to the Holy Spirit that I heard so often at the beginning of sermons growing up. I would like for us to pray it together now. Divine instructor, gracious Lord, be thou forever near. Teach us to love thy sacred word and view our Savior there. Amen. Some of you who were here on Monday, Thursday, will think that this sounds very familiar. And the first part of this sermon is going to sound very familiar. And that's because it's exactly the same sermon of the first part, because it's exactly the same gospel lesson. But I had an instructor in seminary who said, yes, I repeat myself myself, because sometimes I'm not sure if people have heard the first time. And as I have said to some of you, if I can't remember my own sermons, I certainly don't expect you to remember them either. So here we go, a reprise of Monday, Thursday, and there's a little bit more extended end than that. Think about it. The words of a dying person often carry a special significance for us, don't they? I think back to that wrenching day On September 11th, now more than 20 years ago, when people were frantically making calls from their cell phones, do you remember this? Knowing that their time was very, very short. Over and over, what did the callers say to the ones who answered? Over and over again, as these calls were answered,
1: the caller would say, I love you.
0: Or how many times perhaps have a dying dad or mom said to their family, now you kids know I love you. And it's not unheard of, this being a fallen creation, that mom or dad would say to their kids, now you know I love you. Try to get along. So in today's reading, we hear the words of a dying person. Jesus knows his time is very short until his execution, less than 24 hours. And we're hearing part of a long discourse that is given to us in the Gospel of John on Monday, Thursday, after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And then he adds, I'm giving you a new commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's not a proposal. Jesus gives us a new commandment that we love one another. Monday, Thursday, from the Latin, mandate, meaning a command. That's where we get our word for mandate. A couple of years ago, I was involved in a candidacy meeting for the Nebraska Center, Synod as we interview and admit and support candidates for uh, word and service and word and sacrament positions. And one of the students in her application wrote to us, God demands that we love one another. And one of my colleagues on the committee said, with a bit of surprise, does God really
1: demand? That we love one another oh yeah oh yeah god does
0: so how is that even possible for us it just seems too daunting at times doesn't it but jesus reminds us that our obedience to this new commandment is possible it is possible to be commanded to love each other when we abide in jesus love for us, which came first. That was one of the first Bible lessons, Bible passages, Bible verses that I recall learning as a kid. I was probably three or four years old. We love him because he first loved us. That's right. That's right. So what does it mean to abide in Jesus' love? Well, I'm so glad you asked, because in my Greek lexicon, here's how the word is defined. To abide, to stay or continue, to dwell or sojourn, to remain, to rest or settle, to last or endure, to survive, be existent, to continue unchanged, to be permanent, to persevere, to be constant, to be steadfast, to be in close and settled union, to indwell. Does that give us enough to think about this morning? That's why I'm always a bit puzzled when we really look into the meanings and contexts of words. I'm always puzzled when in certain branches of American Protestantism, people say, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Because for us, in our tradition, we really need to say, the Bible says it, I believe it. And that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. So one venerable commentator said, when we abide, when we remain, all those verbs I just read to you, when we abide in Jesus' love, we are chosen for joy. Jesus said these things to us so that his joy might be in us and that our joy might be complete. Remember what Jesus said? As we abide in Jesus' love, we are chosen for joy, and we are chosen for love. We are sent out to love each other. Jesus gives us a command that he himself fulfilled. By his life, by his words, by his foot washing on the last night of his earthly life, Jesus showed us how to live. So often it seems to me that we, we can overemphasize, in a sense, the fact of Jesus taking away our sins, which is an unspeakable gift. I'm not talking heresy here. It's an unspeakable gift that we have been given. But sometimes we concentrate so much on sins being forgiven, sins being forgiven. Jesus died. Jesus died for us. We forget Jesus had a life. And so do we, we have been given the gift of eternal and everlasting life, but we're not dead yet, are we? Or did I miss that email? We're here for a purpose. We're here for a reason. Jesus showed us how to live. One of my favorite quotes from Mother Teresa of Calcutta is where she said, this is what Jesus came to teach us, how to love. Not to look at the color of the skin, not to look at race, not to look at religion, not to look at rich or poor. My brother, my sister. And then Mother Teresa always said, I want you to share the joy of loving. As we abide in Jesus, we are chosen for joy. We are chosen for love and we are chosen to go and bear fruit, bear fruit that will last. We'll talk about that more later. Now it may seem that in some of our quieter moments like it would be simple enough to love Jesus and abide in him and his love but how about this command this command to love one another 2000 years later how do you think we're doing
1: how do you think we're doing we can't
0: even begin to consider today, I'm not going to go there, the clear directive that Jesus gave us to love our enemies. Except to say that love in that context is not a feeling, it's not a noun, it's a verb. And actually, in every context, if love isn't a verb, it doesn't amount much to a noun anyway. So let's keep it simpler, and it will be complicated enough. Let's think about the command to love one another, each other. All of us.
1: All of us. It's hard enough.
0: Maybe you've experienced this, but sometimes many of us have found it difficult to love our loved ones. Have you noticed? I remember a t-shirt that I saw decades ago. It said, I don't really care for any of my loved ones. Some families to kind of operate like that. Everyone here probably knows the story of a family that's been ripped apart by some perceived hurt, some perceived slight, and especially some perceived inequality when the will gets read. Boy, that's a dynamite. In a sermon that was delivered sometime in June or July in 1537, Martin Luther said, it does not require such great skill to begin to love But as Christ says here, remaining, remember, abiding, remaining, remaining in love takes real skill and virtue. Skill and virtue. Luther's talking like a Buddhist. This is Eastern, but it's in our tradition as well. It takes practice, skill and virtue. And he goes on to say, for example, in matrimony, people are initially filled with ardent affection and passion. Later, they can become bitter foes. The same thing happens among Christian siblings. A trivial cause, Luther says, may dispel love and separate those who really should be bound in the firmest ties of love. It turns them into the worst and bitterest enemies. And and listen to what Luther says here. For in the absence of love, doctrine cannot remain pure nor can hearts be held together in unity. In case you can't tell, this is one of my favorite passages that Luther ever wrote. We're not done with it yet. So how might we set out to follow this command of Jesus, this command to love one another as family, biological family, and family in Christ, all of us? As the poet Mary Oliver would say, I don't have any answers, but I do have some suggestions. For one thing, we already know that this life is a journey. Boy, don't we. So we have better gotten it underway by now, this practice of loving one another, starting with repentance and moving forward in faith with resolve in and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who calls us, enlightens us, and sanctifies us. Remember that from Confirmation? It's a journey. For another thing, we can only follow this command in and through the one who has given it to us and the one who fulfilled it. If we are to love one another, we really must abide and remain in Jesus as we are sent out to go and bear much fruit. I think of a toddler who's working through what we call attachment issues. You've seen this. The toddler runs out to explore something in the room or in the yard or to encounter somebody they don't know, or take some little tiny risk. And then the toddler turns around and runs back to mom, back to the safe place, back to where things seem more secure. Then the toddler sets out again, and once again returns. You've seen this. So we too, we venture forth, we set out, we go to bear much fruit and continually return to the source of our strength and the center of our affections. In that same sermon from 1537, Luther continues, he said, Christ wants us to practice love for one another. Practice, practice.
1: It takes practice. It takes rehearsal.
0: Luther says, in terms of dealing with our own sense of maybe we're being slighted or somebody at church says something kind of snarky or somebody in the workplace seems a little negative to us. Luther says, we must not give vent to our anger. Now, granted, Luther didn't always take his own advice. But Luther says, we must not give vent to our anger. Even if we bite our tongue with our teeth, our fist strikes our eye, our foot trips, or our head runs up against the wall. And I think probably many of us know that feeling of running your head up against a wall in a relationship. In any case, Luther continues with this. We must reason thus. We must reason thus. That's important. Luther tells us we got to think. We must reason in this way when we feel we've been slighted. Here's what Luther says. Well, they're a fellow member, sibling or neighbor. What do you propose to do about it? They erred, they made a mistake. There was no malice involved. Perhaps it was done in ignorance or weakness. It hurts, but are you willing to cast away a fellow member for this reason? It is a little spark, spit on it, Luther says. Like you're snuffing out a candle and it will go out. Otherwise, Luther says, the devil will come with his venomous breath or through evil tongues, and fan that spark into an inextinguishable fire, and it will develop into discord and hatred that cannot be allayed, but that will harm the whole body." That was an incredible insight of Luther's. If something like this were written today, we might call it rational emotive therapy, really. and the guy who founded Rational Emotive Therapy would always say, there is no circumstance among human beings so awful but what we can't take it and make it worse by what we tell ourselves. And that's been my experience. Or we could call this cognitive behavior therapy. Really. Luther suggests, and this is so important, people, Luther suggests that we think about our own thinking. We think about how we're reasoning. Like that bumper sticker in Grand Junction 30 years ago, I told you about before that said, don't believe everything you think. It's Profound advice. I have to remind myself of that two, three times a day. (laughs) Is it really true, Jim? Is that really what happened? Are you talking sense to yourself? Luther suggests that we think about our own thinking and not allow the little spark to become a wildfire that consumes us while the objects of our anger remain untouched. It's like the old saying, I've said this to you before, carrying a grudge is like you drinking poison hoping somebody else is gonna die. Or as I'm fond of saying, we old Germans never get so tired, so sick So elderly or so weak, but what we can't carry, a grudge.
1: It's not a great gift.
0: Christ encourages us to practice, to practice love for one another. Remain in him so as to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. What fruit are we talking about? I'm so glad you asked because I have a list. How's this for a list? Love. The fruit is love. Love comes first. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 2,000 years later, how do you think you're doing?
1: How do you think you're doing?
0: I hope that list sounds really familiar to you because it's given to us in Galatians, isn't it? The fruits of the spirit. And I recall my Pentecostal uh, colleague during clinical pastoral education, he said to me years ago, you know, Jim, gifts are given, but fruit is grown. Oh baby, that's important. Gifts are given, but fruit Is grown, it is cultivated, there is a practice. By abiding in Jesus, in the practice of love for one another, we are equipped to grow fruit that will last. This congregation continues the work of abiding in Jesus. I don't need to tell you that the last four years have not been easy for you. There was a fire and there was extensive property destruction there was bereavement and loss and dismay and then and then there was two years of pandemic through it all so many members here have remained so faithful abiding in Jesus and practicing love for one another even when it wasn't always easy Countless hours have been volunteered and given here. And I don't use the word countless very often, but in this case, it's uncountable. Think about it, to assist in services, to to set up the altar, the altar guild, to to sing in the choir, uh, to do cleaning, to do updating, to do Zoom, Sunday after Sunday, week after week, month after month, year after year, Ruth Ann, you've been Zooming. You know... Incredible time has been offered in doing maintenance, doing repair, helping maintain the parish books and the finances, the newsletter being sent out. There's been gardening, there's been decorating, there's been cooking, coffee hours, and on and on and on. People have been amazingly faithful and giving, and I firmly believe that this congregation, I'm not schmoozing you, I firmly believe that this congregation is standing on the verge of a new way of being and different forms of identity. It's a threshold. It's not a precipice. It's a threshold. The Holy Spirit has plans for you.
1: Do you believe that? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. You believe the
0: Holy Spirit has plans for you. I think she does. The Holy Spirit also has questions for you. Questions like, who are we really? Who is our neighbor? To what is God calling us? Do those questions sound familiar? I think they do, because that was part and parcel of the interim process that you went through here. The careful and deliberate self-study that you did prior to the call process. And the good news is, I'm convinced it's all interim ministry. It's all interim ministry. You know, my great grandpa was in the same parish for 37 years. He served his whole career in one little church, Zion in Nebraska. My grandpa was in one church, served his whole ministry for 49 years at Martin Luther Church in rural Johnson, Nebraska. It's really rural. After my grandparents were gone, so often I would stop by the cemetery and there were flowers or arrangements and lots of things, you know, remembrances at their graves. That was going on 40 years ago. And now people who remember my grandparents are my age and older. They have grave sites from their own family, don't they? And so even though I know my grandparents are remembered, on Memorial Day, there's nothing there. 49 years. It's okay. It's okay. Because it's all interim ministry. What we are doing Now, what we can, while we can, in this liminal space between the here and now and the future, where we know God awaits us in one way or another. When we search for answers, we really need to ask the best questions, don't we? And the best questions are who are we really? Who is our neighbor? To what is God calling us? And though the questions are global and broad, aren't they? The answers need to be incarnate, in the flesh, real. The answers need to be incarnate and specific. I believe I told you before that little aphorism from Lily Tomlin that I like so much. Lily Tomlin said, you know, when I was a little girl, I wanted to grow up and be somebody. Now that I've grown up, I realize I should have been more specific. It's a beautiful thought, it's a beautiful thought. Although the questions are broad and global, our answers need to be specific and incarnate in the flesh. By abiding in Jesus, the practice of love for one another, we are equipped to grow fruit that will last right here in this place, beginning with every new moment. And so we turn our hearts to the life-giving words of a dying person who said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I'm giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The journey has begun. May we so deeply share with one another the transforming love of Christ that his kingdom might come on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray. O God of all, of everyone and everything that is, with wonderful diversity, you created all people in your image and redeemed us through Jesus. Look with compassion on the whole human family Take away the arrogance and hatred that infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us and unite us in bonds of love. Through our journey, our struggle, and our confusion, work to accomplish your purposes on earth so that in good time, every people and nation might serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne. Through Jesus Christ,
1: Our Savior and Lord. Amen.